Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield. Hi, welcome to the Neil Garfield Show. Today is February 25th, 2016, and we are live. My name is T.L.A. Anderson, and I will be hosting the show tonight with attorney Stephen Wright. Neil Garfield has an ongoing case he is litigating and was unavailable. We wish him good luck, and he will return next week. Attorney Stephen Wright and I will be discussing how rescission impacts bankruptcies later in the show and touch on the Evanova case decided last week in California. We will also discuss new rescission cases that bring up the issue of tender. First, a little background on Stephen Wright. Stephen practices in Monroe, Connecticut. He attended Florida State, Go Knowles, and Western New England College of Law. He graduated in 1980, so Stephen is a seasoned litigator who has been involved in the foreclosure, excuse me, foreclosure fiasco since day one. Stephen can be reached at area code 203-261-3050. His contact information is listed on tonight's episode or can be found on the Living Lies blog. Welcome, Stephen. Uh, good evening, T.L. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Well, yeah, well I thought we're... first we would discuss the Evanova case. Are you up for that? Sure. Start us off. That's I know a the very entire... good case. Okay. I know, I know the entire state of California was holding their breath last week, waiting to hear what the California Supreme Court would do. As I would say, that although the matter isn't entirely settled, the Glaske and Ivanova decisions confirm that a borrower is entitled to challenge standing. This was huge. My favorite quote out of the case was, quote, the borrower owes money not to the world at large, but to a particular person or institution and only the person or institution entitled to payment may enforce the debt by foreclosing on the security. So obviously the Supreme Court is saying, and I'll take this exactly from Ivanova on page 8, either you own the debt or you don't, or you can prove it or you can't. So what are your thoughts on that, Stephen? Um, it's, it's, they're, they're boiling it down that it's not the rocket science <laughs> that the uh, – the people who are bringing these actions or in the California case taking people's houses by uh, non-judicial foreclosure thought it was. I mean, it's pretty clear. You can either you either own the note or you don't. And uh, dancing around the flagpole about who owns it and who might own it and assignments that are clearly uh, made up in order to fit the particular case are, are not going to cut it, and that's what the court's saying. And uh, Florida's starting to do the same thing. 
as we're seeing. So that's good news for the borrower because that's, um, like you and I were discussing earlier, summary judgments, the the end game for the borrower. But you know what? It's also the end game for the lender because uh, when you, they got to go live and they got to put somebody on the stand, it becomes more and more difficult for them to establish uh, a business record predicate based on, uh, for instance, in the uh, Florida case, the uh, the Manny case, I think it was, uh, or the Mant case, uh, U.S. Bank versus the Mant, and also the uh, the Nation Star one. The the affiant had no idea of what was going on with the records of the prior owners, and um, and the courts held its held their feet to the fire and denied the motion for summary judgment. So that. That's going to lead, I think, to uh, a resolution that the borrower or the homeowner might uh, find a lot more acceptable than probably what was offered before. So that's good stuff. So the I case mean, you're citing, U.S. Bank, it's U.S. Bank versus Diamond, D-I-M-A-N-T, and that was in the Fifth District Court of Appeals. And it mirrors a Nash decision, which was another Matt or MERS decision, that basically said that MERS was acting as a cover to hide the, the fraudulent transfers. In this case, it was countrywide that they were basically going in and, and trying to just kind of, um, basically, they were trying to create a fiction and sh- try to show that the note was transferred to a Remick Trust outside the parameters of the PSA. And the court said, no, that's not, that's not acceptable. We want to see a chain of assignments. We want to see how MERS came to own that note and ruled in favor of the homeowners. Yeah, and 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 you know the, those uh, those trusts have very specific endorsements on them, and and they're not uh, you know undated allonges that show up uh, all too often uh, that probably aren't even part of the note until they get to the courthouse. I mean, you know, you know so I mean that that's that's good stuff to make the plaintiff prove that it has an injury. That's pretty basic law that, you know, you can't bring an action if you're not injured, and you're not injured if you don't own the note. And you shouldn't be able Good to take point. You know, up, in, up until the, the even-over discussion, I mean, basically many of the courts in California, they just, the judges made prejudicial presumptions that if the bank said they had standing, the foreclosure was granted. Literally, the people who were complete strangers to the debt could bring in a copy of a note they pulled from the recorder's office or photoshopped and the judge would rule in, fa- rule in favor of the bank. Now that Ivanova or Ivanova has been handed down, how do you think this is going to impact pending cases? Well, I think you should definitely cite it, and I think you should definitely, you know, when you get an affidavit that just says, uh, I'm the vice president of uh, Aquin in a Nation Star case, for instance, and I happen to be familiar with the business records of Nation Star or whoever the servicer is. Um, that doesn't cut it, and uh, those cases are are saying that. That's what the Florida uh, uh, Court of Appeals are are saying, and that's what the uh, the other case. You can, you can challenge it, and um, and you should challenge it. And if they want to claim they're in a trust and they're suing on behalf of a trustee, well, then show an assignment that complies with the trust, or you know, leave town. That's really the the way it ought to ought to be, and um, we'll see how that works. You know, um, we'll see. I know in my own state, you can still get away with the talismanic incantations of the business record predicate that is purely conclusionary and, in my view, violates the statute. The statute says 
shall testify to facts that will make these conclusions, and that is they're made in the ordinary course of business. It was an ordinary, regular practice to make the record. The records are kept and so on and so forth, and that's not a business record predicate, and that's what the court so that's, is saying. So that's when you want to you want to depose the, the affiant, and you want to put them on the stand, and they're basically going to say what? I pulled, I saw a screenshot, and and so therefore we have standing or something right. like that? and they're going to say they went into a program, and uh, that's where all these records are, and they don't know anything about the program, or and that's, and that's going to be a fight when you... Uh, get the summary judgment and you move to take the deposition of the the affiant who's supporting uh, the the whole summary judgment, um, they're going to fight you on that. They're going to say they're out of state, they don't live close by, you can pay to go see them, and stuff like that. And I think you can cite these cases and say, look, um, it's their burden. And, uh, you know, I have a right to, to discovery on this uh, that issue and, and push it a little bit. And then definitely oppose the motion by saying that these conclusionary uh, affidavits don't cut it. You know, just because you're the vice president, you know, vice president of what? Uh, everybody at the bank is either a teller or a vice president. So um, what does yeah, that mean? Yeah, especially that you do? now. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I think it's terrifying because theoretically, the borrower would have no recourse if the if they paid the wrong party. The borrower has no idea. Who they don't know who was the lender. They're not sure how the servicer became the servicer, and they have no idea if the loan even exists or has been paid off or what's going on. So the homeowner remains vulnerable to this whole process. They do. That's right. But do you see any end in sight? I mean, this this is a huge decision in the right the right direction. But you know, there's 49 other states. You know, Florida is slowly coming along. You're seeing some good decisions out of Arizona, but yeah. there's the the middle, you know, the the Midwest. You're not seeing a whole lot. Or, In all uh, foreclosure states too, uh, except for Florida. But I mean, you know, Arizona and California are, are you know non-judicial foreclosure. It's they they give you the notice, they accelerate the debt, and they post it, and you pay pay off the debt or reinstate it, or you you lose your house. Or you got to bring an action to to quiet the title, and that's um, so these cases. Why don't are we speak more about about quiet title in regards to to standing? Do you see a lot of of people going that route just because um, having a civil case is just so expensive and so time consuming and can literally go on for years and years? I haven't heard a whole bunch about about people taking the option. Of say even doing a rescission and then a quiet title action. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't think you have to. You know, if you did the rescission correctly, and uh, certainly if you did it within the three years, um, the case is pretty clear. I mean, the Supreme Court has said it clear that that mortgage is void. Uh, so I don't know, you know, at some point the borrower may want to sell the home and you want to get the mortgage off, so when you try to do that, I don't know how you're going to convince uh, who's ever servicing it at the time that they ought to just take it off. So you may have to bring the action if that's what you're going to do, but um, that is an expensive way to go. But it's the only way, I, you know, it's hard to stop these foreclosures in non-judicial foreclosure states. Except uh, well, that brings us to bankruptcy. I mean, bankruptcy is is there's a lot of people now doing a rescission, 
and then going into bankruptcy where, you know, the note and, and mortgage are already void instruments. But that brings up a whole lot of questions, too, as far as, um, you know, the, the secured interest and, and the property, the proof of claim. Um, yeah, maybe I you can go you on a little bit more about that. that. You're absolutely right about that. You're going to want... You want to be careful with that. I mean, I, I think you know the, the the bankruptcy trustee in a, say a chapter seven is a, a very powerful uh, in terms of the uh, you know the strong arm powers that it has, and it can, it can claim anything the debtor can claim. Um, and maybe we'll see bankruptcy trustees start doing rescission analysis because if they knock the the mortgage off and the house is free and clear, the debtor's only going to be able to preserve whatever's exempt. Under either state or I federal think it's law, isn't it three hundred and sixty thousand, something like that? Well, in Connecticut, seventy-five thousand a person. Yeah, oh, it, it wow. varies from state. Like in Florida, if it's your homestead and you knock it off, you're 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 free and clear because uh, your whole your entire homestead is protected regardless of its value. Uh, same in. But in Texas. Chapter Seven, you would have all that if if. If the mortgage and um, our and note are basically, what am I trying to say? That they're void. That you're going to have any income you have if you're not paying on the house. That that money is going to go to other. What is it? Other. No, not um, in a seven. If you in, in, depending on the exemptions, for instance, it will vary from state to state. In Florida, if you knock off the mortgage off your homestead, you get to keep the house even though there's now a bunch of equity in it. So if there was a $200,000 mortgage on a $200,000 house and you knocked it off in Florida and in Texas, you'd get to keep it because they have an exemption of, uh, you know, regardless of the value of improvements, Florida's limited to, or Texas is limited to one acre. But um, in Connecticut, you'd have $150,000 if it was a married couple. And then there's uh, other states where they use the tenants in common or tenancy by the entirety, which is very difficult to upset uh, by a creditor uh, or by a trustee. So you could knock it off there too. So I mean, otherwise you are you're right. You're creating equity for the trustee, and they end up knocking off the mortgage and selling your house on you and giving you a small amount of money uh, for the exemption, which would not be a good result. Now how well, how would that work if you reaffirm the debt? I mean, if if you've already, I mean, you've got void instruments. How do you, and and the yeah, real creditor can. probably can't be found. How do you reaffirm it? I, I don't think any bankruptcy lawyer should tell their client to reaffirm any of these debts. These well, mortgage I agree. debts, I would I would not reaffirm them. You can continue to pay them, and I would not reaffirm them because if the house is, uh, you know, underwater for instance, but it still makes sense to live there, or the mortgage should be gone, uh, but it's not, um, you don't want to reaffirm it because you're signing up for that deficiency in those states that would allow it. Some states don't allow deficiency judgments, but many up, up north do. And I, I would never reaffirm a, a mortgage debt. Uh, I might reaffirm a car lease, but that's about it. And so the, so go, the same goes for Chapter 13? Yeah, I would say so, yeah. I, I would not reaffirm it. I would just, you know, make sure that they are the, the owner of the uh the instrument. And that you know that's another thing too, the the uh you know, rule rule three thousand and one 
of the uh, bankruptcy uh, code is how what, what a proof of claim has to say. And when that proof of claim deals with an instrument that's been transferred prior to bankruptcy, and it also deals with a um, you know a mortgage debt, they have to file a lot of specific information about who they are and 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 um, how much is in the escrow, and if they don't do that, there's some very strict sanctions under the rule, which include precluding the holder from presenting the uh, omitted information at a later date, or even not even allowing uh, the uh, claim to be allowed. And there there are cases on that when the claims bar date has passed, and the debtor objects to the proof of claim based on its non-compliance with Rule 3001, the court sometimes does not allow the claim, and, and there's been cases on that. And um, that's, a, you know, another thing that you ought to watch, because then, then you can kind of start scratching the surface and finding out where these, where, whether or not they can show you where this debt is. But isn't it is the same as other civil cases, where the servicer is still doing a proof of claim when they have no standing and using fraudulent documents? Yeah, that's the that they they're going to get. In, that's going to that's going to start trouble in the bankruptcy court. That's going to start because when you sign that proof of claim, you sign it subject to the pains and penalties of perjury, and uh, you know you could be get five years in jail or, or a, a large fine for doing that under the uh, Title Twenty Eight. So that's. That's nuts. And if they start enforcing, but I'm sure that, it's being done. Oh, I mean, it is. They don't sure. seem to have. So, so if you were a homeowner in a Chapter 13, and you know that a servicer without standing has filed a proof of claim, what would you do to attack that that proof of claim? Well, I would make sure that it meets. It has all the information required of it um, under Chapter uh, in Rule thousand Rule three thousand or should be Rule the uh, 3001 and they have to show you know how they're if, if it's a secured claim they have to show um well look right at the statute they have to they have to show the principal amount the interest the fees the expenses um they have to show an escrow statement they have to attach the official form that shows who they are if it was transferred for security before the claim was filed which is what i think what they are dealing with, it's got to be supported by a statement setting forth the terms of the transfer. If either the transferee or the transferor file the proof of claim, they'll immediately notify them by mail that uh, they have to join the claim. If uh, so, there's a lot of stuff. The they they basically are giving you the roadmap to sh- to make the argument that they're not the holder of the note and they don't have a right to enforce it. Or they're 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 actually proven that they do, and um, when they don't, they don't get to participate, and they could lose their uh, lose their mortgage that way. Well, that might be a good way to do it: is starting to get some some forensic analysis oh, yeah. of their chain of title and bring those into the bankruptcy court. And the other thing that is, I don't think a lot of homeowners are aware is when you file bankruptcy, you don't want to list. The, your lender or, or servicer or whatever they want to call themselves as secured. You don't know that that's secured. You don't know what the balance is. Yeah, and you're right. And by admitting that you're, you're already 
behind the eight ball. Right, and you, that may end up haunting you when you get out of bankruptcy and have to go back to the courthouse, the state courthouse. You're absolutely right. You should list a mortgage claim in bankruptcy as a disputed debt, and 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 uh, <clears throat> and then list all the people that claim that uh, every everybody should be. That's a, definitely a disputed debt. You want to be able to dispute it, and that will give you the opportunity to do so. And like you said, if you list it as a secure claim and undisputed. You're going to have a hard time coming back into the state court and saying, geez, I got the benefit of the bankruptcy and I, I signed all these schedules and, and said everything was correct, and now I want to contest whether or not this guy, this, this, this entity is really the secure creditor. You're going to get looked at funny, uh, I think. Yeah, that's going to be a hurdle to overcome. Mm-hmm. Now, if you received a chapter, a chapter 13 discharge, how would it work? That if you if you'd rescinded your your note and mortgage prior to filing bankruptcy, you receive the discharge. Then what happens? Well, I think what happens at that point in Chapter 13 would be the opportunity to object to the proof of claim being filed when they file it in the 13 on the basis that the debt's been uh, extinguished by virtue of a rescission. So that the mortgage is void and the debt's gone if if you did it within the three years of the uh, transaction, uh, and you didn't get you know you didn't get the a letter back or so they didn't commence an action within twenty days of receiving the notice. Um, so should the, your attorney write something into your your discharge instructions that that's the way that the I don't no, know what you, you call it. You, you, can't you would, call you would it have to get an order. Of the, ba- the bankruptcy court would either sustain your objection to the proof of claim or deny it. Uh, and if they weren't, you know, they didn't meet the standards, they weren't right, uh, then they would deny it. And uh, the bankruptcy court would say it's no good. And then to keep it on the, you know, most states have a statute that if you have a, uh, a void or satisfied or a lien that doesn't belong on someone's property, you've got a certain amount of time to take it off, and then there's penalties for not taking it off after the time lapses. In Connecticut, you have 60 days and, or 90 days, and when you don't do it, uh, you can be fined up to $5,000 uh, for bringing an action to get rid of it, and you have to pay the attorney's fees, and many other states have those those type of statutes. So... Interesting. It sounds like you need a you need a good bankruptcy attorney to to go into the rescission waters and bankruptcy. Yes, you would. N- not something you want to try on your own. No, I would not do that on my own. So, what do you see, Stephen? What do you see some recent trends um, that are that are happening um, in your state? I mean, is rescission starting to be a, a big issue? Is that starting to generate a lot of interest, or are people kind of holding back? I think they're kind of holding back. I I, I don't see a lot of rescission cases. I, I've got a couple of my own um, that I've filed. Um, you know, they're different types. The ones where they filed the notice of rescission right after the loan, they're they're one kind, and then. And there's no action by the creditor, which th- typically there is no action by the creditor. You could send a rescission notice out now, and they probably wouldn't react to it, or, or maybe they would now. Who knows? But before they weren't they weren't reacting to it, and um, 
Well, do you have any ongoing cases where you're actually challenging consummation? Does that mean I, I do. I have, well, I have a few going on right now, and I have, and they're kind of stagnant. I haven't heard anything from the 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 the, uh, uh, the, the creditor side yet. And um, I've sent out some interrogatories asking questions, and of course I'm getting back the typical objections. They don't want to give you any information about what it is that they're they're not uh, that they're trying to hide. You know, you remember that when they first started these cases, everybody would start off by saying, you know, the, the servicer would start off by saying they're the owner and the holder, and now now they're admitting that there there's a trust and. Um, it's kind of weird that they're they're getting away with that. Uh, it really is. I mean, <clears throat> well, how about how about res- go ahead? I'm sorry, Stephen. No, I'm, I think that the the California Supreme Court is 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 kind of saying they're a little tired of it. I mean, that, those remarks, those those quotes you took, they're kind of flippant. They're <laughs> they're pretty direct. Yeah, I think everyone was a little bit surprised. But they yeah. had, you know, the California Supreme Court had to rule that way because if they didn't, there would be no reason for endorsements or assignments and literally all hell would break loose. I mean, not oh, that right. it hasn't already, but but I think that the, the courts are starting to recognize the importance that the assignments are done correctly, the chain of, of title looks right, and and the endorsements match, and they're not robo-signed. I mean, I think they're starting to get it because they don't want this going on for another decade. No, I don't. I, I think you're right, and and I also they're also saying, hey, and you know, when you put in an affidavit, make sure the person who's signing that thing has some knowledge about what they're saying, instead of just saying I'm familiar with all the records, you know. You know, and that, Come, that's and, just, and uh, your experience, anyone that you've deposed on the stand. And you've discussed records with what? Tell me what normally happens. They're very weak. Okay. They're very weak. What do they, they usually? They, they don't know do they how the records say? were kept. They don't know how the records were kept before the note uh, got to where they became the servicer. Um, they're usually representatives of the servicer. They're certainly not people that are, are you know, who who can the trust send? You know, I mean, right? Who, Does, do they seem like send? they've been coached? Oh, they seem like these coach. people are coached, or do they get up there and do they just seem oblivious to what's going on? No, they're definitely coached, but I mean, you know, it's very hard to to answer questions about stuff that you know nothing about in a courtroom. I mean, it becomes pretty obvious if you try to try to fake it, and uh, you know, it depends, you know, how far the judge is is going to let you go with uh, you know attacking the uh, business record predicate. They should let you go quite a bit because, as I say, it's not that they're made in the ordinary course of business. It's factual evidence that supports the conclusion. That's for the judge to make that they're made in the ordinary course of business. The witnesses to testify to facts that support that conclusion. So when they just say, oh, these are made in the ordinary course of business, uh, as the Court of Appeals did in, in Florida in a recent nation star uh, case, so that's not good enough. You say you're the vice president, but you don't tell us what your responsibilities are. Uh, you don't. You don't say you personally reviewed the records. You don't. You don't say anything. You just say you just make the talismanic incantations and try to get uh, use that as a business record and 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 push the whole thing through the process. It's not going to work. 
So the case you're referring to is McNair versus Nation Star Mortgage, and that's in Florida. And basically, um, Nationwide nationwide, uh, failed to authenticate the loan payment history. They failed to lay the foundation for admissions and its business records, and those are the uh-huh. of its predecessors. But don't you have to get to get to that point? You've got to have good discovery. How does how does someone go about getting good discovery when the judge, you know, the judge isn't going to allow it, and your own attorney isn't willing to compel it, and you're just up against a brick wall? Well, if the if if the courts are not going to if your the court in your state is not going to take a uh a sharper um re- make a sharper requirement of the uh the plaintiff to show that the affiant has actual personal knowledge of what he says he does have personal knowledge of or she has personal knowledge of then you're up against it you know and all you can do is just preserve the error and bring it to the court of appeals and cite these cases and see what your own court of appeals do we we have that issue in Connecticut we uh, it's a very weak standard, in my view, for the court to accept uh, an affidavit in support of summary judgment from uh, a servicer's agent uh, who says they have all the, the knowledge they need well, to know. It's definitely a conflict of interest. Yes, definitely. And you've got someone who's employed by the, the either the plaintiff or the defendant that has no actual knowledge. I mean, that's you're set up to fail. And then I think what a lot of the judges know is that most homeowners are not going to have the endurance or the financial means to get to the appeal court. And so if we can just, um, you know, rule on summary judgment, we've got, you know, 60% of the people right off the top are going away. And then I'm sure there's more attrition as, as time goes by because appeals court is, it's expensive, it's time-consuming, and you've got to have an attorney who knows his stuff inside out and she didn't make too many mistakes in the underlying case, civil case. So it's a tall that's, order. That's, that's right. That is a tall order. But and now how many we're cases to see do you have cases that, that are helping us? Yeah. Yeah. Now we see yeah, some cases that easier. are not, you know, are letting the homeowner go after that, and uh, it's well worth it. Because when well, you, you overcome a, a summary judgment, huh? Have you had a recent good victory on on overcoming a summary judgment? Oh yeah. Yeah, and you know these were the, uh, the old Aurora loans, uh, the Lehman Brothers, and those are those are a mess. I mean, I mean they go all over the place, and the, you know Aurora starts the lawsuit, and then all of a sudden somebody else starts in, and Aurora claims they're the holder, and and uh, you know they first came from Lehman Brothers Bank, and then the Lehman Brothers went into bankruptcy, so there raises another question about. You know how the hell do these things get transferred after they're in bankruptcy, and then, um, you know, it goes on and on all day. But they they just show up with these homages that are not dated. They do reference the note, uh, but they're not dated, and they're signed by people who purport to be, uh, you know, representatives of the transferee. Uh, and you know, I don't want to say they're cut out of whole cloth, but they're kind of they're kind of they're kind of weird how they just line up so conveniently uh, with what they claim. So to you're be saying the that each, so each servicer kind of has their own methodologies that they try to to artificially fill in the blanks. So yeah, once you kind they, of know, you know the pattern, they change servicers constantly. Gets... So I, I don't know if that's done. I don't know what reason that's done for. 
other than you know the, take the eye off the ball. What, I mean, they keep changing the servicers. Why, why do that? I mean, there's so much money in these mortgages that the, the, the servicers just keep buying them. I, I don't. I know who would who would purchase a debt that that's basically uncollectible except for they have some kind of insurance or in some other exotic financial instrument where they're going to gain. There's a, there's must be a no-lose situation on for servicers because they keep buying debts. Oh, that, yeah, and they that, yeah, those companies garbage. are getting big and they're huge. And they're but popping they're swimming out around nowhere. these derivatives. Yep. I mean, NationStar used to be a, a kind of a small leasing company in Connecticut, and now it's a huge company out of the Texas and wherever else they come from. They're in other places also. So the, you're right. There's, there, I don't know where where the, where all this money's coming. I don't know where they get the money to pay your insurance. Who's doing that? It's not these trusts. I guarantee you. No, the trusts are yeah. empty. It's probably the when investors the that probably don't realize. The, yeah. They don't realize what they're paying for. They don't realize they don't own a note mortgage. They don't realize what you know they're paying probably for rescission insurance. I mean, who knows? So, kind of as a sidelight, you know, Connecticut passed a statute last uh, year that requires MERS uh, or any nationally electronic mortgage nominee to pay three times the normal recording fee. And of course, MERS went nuts, and they uh, appealed it to our Supreme Court, which we they found our Supreme Court found that there was no constitutional uh, uh, imposition on MERS for them having to pay more than the next guy. And I, I thought that was that that was kind of a, a well, that's shallow. That's a step in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they and set up MERS so that they could avoid anything. payments. Yeah, all these mortgages that were signed and transferred. And there's nothing on the records. They created a real monster for local town clerks or city clerks or county clerks in other states. And, and now Connecticut's saying, well, you're going to pay more money than the next guy. And I don't know, you know, it just came down on the, about a week ago, the case. So I don't know if they're going to go any further with it. But um, that was kind of an interesting sidelight for the company that really was set up with the idea of not wanting to pay the filing fee in the first place. Exactly. But yet be able to and, and speaking, the and speaking of county recorders, you know, as far as rescission goes, a lot of people are finding that when they go to perfect their rescission by filing the rescission in the county records, that mm-hmm. the county recorders are not allowing them to do this. Well, that's do you have ridiculous. any? I, I'll tell you. What, I'll be kind of curt on that. I think the county clerk ought to file a menu if the fees paid and it's in the proper. You know, they shouldn't be making decisions on whether or not it's proper filing. If if it's got if it's the fees paid and and it's sworn to, they ought to file it. Well, I've heard it's coming down from the banks that they are not to accept any kind of rescission documents. Yeah, well, the county clerk ought to. So they're practicing law. The county clerk ought to do her job and just file it and let 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 the let the courts sort out what the value of that filing is. Exactly. Uh, that's that's really that's really not a shot to call. They, people should do that. I, I don't know what it's not. I don't know what good it does, but it, it does definitely create a record for what happened when. And I've seen some pretty good ones. And 
you're still going to have to prove that you're entitled to the re- remedy under the Truth in Lending Act. But nonetheless, you got that on file, and it's a, it's as much of a cloud as the cloud that they put on the, the like MERS does. So. Well, I think it helps that, you know, the banks have a way of losing documents or saying they didn't get something. So even mm-hmm. though you've got proof that that you sent your rescission by certified letter, it's just one more bit of evidence to show in the future that I did this, I did this, and 20 days later, I still hadn't heard from them. Right. I, I agree with you because they're, they're going to say they never got it. And you're not oh, yeah. required to send it by certified mail. Uh, you should. It doesn't hurt. No, absolutely not. But you're not required to, and then it becomes a question of proof. And, you know, the homeowner said I said it, and they said, how can they say they didn't get it? I mean, how can, you know, especially if it was done yeah, close to the mortgage being taken out like in 2008. You know, who, exactly. how do you know you didn't get it? You, you have no well, I idea what I think it's smart. I think it's smart, too, just to create a paper trail, a record, that even after you send your rescission and you don't hear from them in 20 days, that you send out another letter and said, say sorry. You know, by by um, operation of law, this is a statutory rule, and so the mortgage and note are now void. See you guys later. I, I agree with you. You're not, you're not showing your hand at all by doing that. I agree with that. No, but you're just – but another thing but you're creating a good record to realize – you're creating a good record, and that's what the banks do. I mean, they're making good records to document that they're fraud. You know, well, we faked it back then. Not, that's not what they say, but we basically came across this document when they didn't. So I think the more you can have on the record, the better off you'll be. And the other thing about rescission, too, when people do their rescission letters, is I don't even think that people should refer to to themselves as borrower or the loan as a loan. I would call it an account. Because I don't want to give these the servicers any ammunition at all. Well, they're called, they said that they borrowed money. You don't know that you borrowed money. I mean, until until you can get into litigation and find out what the facts are, you don't know if you're a borrower. You don't know if you had a loan. I mean, you don't know anything because this is all a house of cards. No, that's all, those are all excellent points. The, the, so keep the rescission wanna... letter simple. I, I I rescind the account number listed above. And, and then you're right. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, the statute doesn't distinguish between good rescission letters and bad rescission letters. It's the failure to respond in the 20-day period that gets the lender in trouble. So you're absolutely right. But you don't right. want to give them anything in the letter that they might be able to. I mean, a, an unsuspecting homeowner may think that, oh, the more information I put in this letter, the more protection I'm going to have when I think it's the opposite. Just rescind it. Is it. Just the rescind opposite. the account right. number. You're right. Just just tell me rescind. Because exactly. the statute doesn't distinguish between proper rescission letters and improper rescission. It says you got to do something in 20 days when you get it, and if you don't, you're you, it's a whole different ballgame. And the statute says that, too, you can do it by phone. Of course, you don't want to do that. You want to always have a paper trail right. of what you've done when. So always get a certified receipt. Because I, I haven't said I've never seen any of those recordings that they say they have when they tell you you're on a recorded line. I've asked <laughs> for them in Discovery and I've never seen them. I've actually seen a few, but they leave out um, bits of information that are very relevant to the case. <laughs> they give you what they want to. They do a little bit of editing. That's good. 
It is good, but but I think that's good advice just to keep things simple because you never know how the bank is going to be able to rework it and use it against you at a at a future time. I mean, within any anything you do, I mean, even your bankruptcy filing, don't call them a secured lender. And I've I've heard from some people that they say that when they do these automated forms, you know, they're they're going pro se, that it makes them list list them as secured. And I don't think that's true. I think that you just put them in the unsecured column and you put balance unknown. I agree with you. I think the less said, the better on a rescission notice. Well, we've covered that. We've got four minutes left. Um, the the floor is yours, Stephen. Huh? We can take. I I don't really know if I know how, but you want to try one? Sure. I guess the worst thing that happens is I end the show prematurely. Um, yeah. I guess it's worth a try. I don't know how to. I don't really know how. Well, I guess I'll just click on and we'll see if this person wants to talk. <clears throat> Hi, you're on the Neil Garfield Radio Program. Would you like to talk? Do you have any questions? Guess not. Can you hear me? Yeah. I can hear you. Okay, good. Hi. Um, hi. Uh, I've been fighting U.S. Bank for since 2006. Uh, we lost our to a summary judgment. We lost to uh, the appeals court. Uh, after that, the notary came forward with a witness and under oath testified that they were not his signature. I did put mm. in the rescission. <clears throat> the bank fired back 40 days later and said, sorry, the rescission is no good because of the merger doctrine, doctrine and the note was merged with the, the uh, judgment. I claim that the judgment is void from its inception because it was fraudulent from the very beginning. It's been forged with falsified documents all the way through, and I'd like to get your comment on that. Well, my, my comment is, is that, um, you know, there's uh, fraud on the court, and then there's, uh, you know, just... Well, obtaining a judgment by fraud, there's a difference, and you're right. Uh, the judgment may very well be void if you can get the judge to agree that he entered it based on a, a false signature and a bad notarization. Uh, right. So you should probably get back into the courthouse and take the battle up there. I, I well, don't we're think the judge would be happy at all about that. We're in bankruptcy right now. The judge is very favorable to our side, and I'm going, because we've got so many numerous you know, issues dealing with U.S. Bank not being allowed to do business here in Florida. And, I mean, just I can just line them up, about 20 of them. But the most important one, even above my signature being forged, is that the notary signature and the seal is fake. And that supersedes everything. And it voids the, ju- the judgment. It voids the appellate court. So we're going to ask the bankruptcy judge in about one month from now to give us a direct verdict based on what we found. And, and include the rescission notice, too. Uh, and you, you might have to be careful with that because it's an existing judgment. So they have what they call the Rucker-Feldman Doctrine in bankruptcy court, which kind of prohibits a bankruptcy judge from upsetting uh, a, a judgment. So you, you may have to get permission to go back to the state court. But uh, I'd keep battling because that you shouldn't lose houses based on fraudulent signatures and fake. Oh, we're 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 going to keep uh we're going to keep battling. The uh the attorney general actually took the case and sealed it. 
Good. Oh, so, my God. We're on our way to dis- discovery, and, 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 and we'll probably end up taking a uh, separate lawsuit against U.S. Bank ourselves. But we've been, we've been just devastated by two, ju- two uh, lawyers that have just ripped us off so bad. It's just been a tragedy. So and I know sorry. a lot of other people have. Yeah, I know a lot of other people have. And, so, and these, these two lawyers were supposed to be the best out there, and they basically conned us out of property and money. And in the final analysis, they bailed out when the going got tough. So, so my I'm recommendation. So sorry. To anybody we'll keep yeah, sorry to hear that. Yeah, my recommendation is to anybody listening is just keep fighting no matter what because there are just people. Just keep fighting. We'll there. end it on that basis. Thank you, sir. Good luck. Keep the fight. We'll, Neil will be back next Thursday. And thank you so much, Stephen, for your time. Oh, too nice show, guys. It. Thank you. Good night. Thanks for listening to our broadcast. We hope that you tell your friends about us and let them know that there is hope and help in this financial crisis. Tune in every week to The Neil Garfield Show for free information and advice and visit our blog daily at The Living Lines Blog. We provide support services, the latest strategies, analysis,